Thank you, thank you. Fantastic. Good evening, everyone. Fantastic to be in your neck of the woods, in your jungle. My jungle is a little bit different than this one here. Here, it's a little bit cooler uh, than our place. Our place is 30, 40 degrees always. We don't have, uh, we don't have um, seasons like you have here. But I am still perplexed that I see people in their shorts and T-shirts in weather like this. <laughs> I do not know what they wear then in the summertime. I said to the guy the other day, I said, what do you wear in the summertime if you're wearing these? This is summer. I said, uh, okay, all right, uh, then that's it. Hey, great to be here. Uh, wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, we're here for Jesus, of course. And um, uh, I know without him, we can't do anything. You know, I can't do anything. None of us can do anything without him. We can. We can make a lot of noise with him, without him. But with him... God wants us to, like I shared today in the school, God wants us to fill us every day so that we can, so we can make a difference in this world. So that we can make a difference in this world. We need to shine for Jesus and to shine for Jesus in this world that so desperately needs Jesus. Right Now, I think some of you are looking a little bit strange at me. Uh, of course, you can hear that I'm not from around here. And... Uh, I'm from Australia, so if you're having a difficult time in understanding me, I am so sorry. Right? I, I, yesterday I was at uh, some place having a coffee, and um, this guy, this old guy, was sitting next next table next to me, and um, his wife uh, went to do shopping, and he looked at me and he started this great conversation with me. I think he just shared his whole life story with me, and I he wouldn't let me. I mean, he just kept on talking, 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 and he wouldn't let me say, "Excuse me, I don't understand a word you're saying." Because he was going, and I kept on saying, ah, ah, okay, okay, well, uh, yeah. Anyway, then uh, that was it. And he goes, okay, uh, see you later. I said, yes, okay, thank you. Right? But uh, so if you don't understand me, like I sometimes can't understand you, well, I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you, right? To translate for me, for you. So, um, there you go. I just, um, I'm glad to be here. I'm here for another week and then I go home back to the jungles of Borneo and uh, I'm looking forward to, I already miss everybody over there. But you got lots of love from everybody over there. Like I shared, we're here for a reason. And I, I love the body of Christ and I want the body of Christ to be healthy and strong. I, am gr I grieve and, I, and God must grieve as well when he can see the condition of the church today. We've just gone through COVID period. And with the COVID period, we've seen so much damage done in the church. Uh, I, I don't know your church, but I can just hear with your worship that you have a passion for God, right? And that you love the presence of God to be with you. Unfortunately, with this whole COVID stuff that has been going on around the world and at our place and now in our region as well, we've had it as well there. Many people have died there. And I think more people have died from starving to death than from COVID because at our place, there, as a result of COVID, uh, factories were closed down, uh, plantations were closed down, and the people there, they, they didn't get a, um, uh, to go home and then still have a wage like they have here. They went home and they don't have a savings account or anything like that. They're, just, they're already poor, and they just live from day to day, week to week. And so then all of a sudden they're told to go home and that's it. And so, of course, their food supply runs out very quickly, and then they're just ready to die. There's just no one there to help them. And it's incredibly sad. And I think, like I said, more people have died from uh, um, uh, starving than from the COVID there. 
But it's, it's, it's been a terrible, terrible time for the church as well, in one way. In the other way, it's actually sifted the church out. It's, uh, you know, when I see now that a lot of people aren't coming back to church because they like it at home and uh, they don't want to get together again or they're so fearful now that they are not even, they're paralyzed of fear. And God doesn't want us to be fearful. Fear does not come from God, of course. We know this. As the scripture tells us, fear doesn't come from God, but fear, fear comes from the enemy. And the enemy, he wants to, us to be paralyzed as anything, not to enjoy uh, being in the presence of God, not to uh, serve the Lord. And so with he, if he can shut us down, he tries to shut us down. And of course, uh, many uh, places have tried to do that, but um, we didn't shut down in our place. We, we, didn't, we just continued on. I remember the, the government came to our place to our village, and they said, you need to all uh, shut this place down, uh, go in lockdown, and then you need to go to your houses, and all the families need to go to the houses on the property, and, uh, and that. And I said, so families can stay together? And they said, yes. I said, good, well, we're one big, huge family here, all 825 of us, so we're not doing that, so go away, we're not doing that, we don't have uh, COVID here, so we're going to be careful, we'll be wise in who we let in and who we let out, but we're not going to go in lockdown like you've asked us to do. So um, as a result, we continue to worship God together, you know, and pray together and come and, uh, and enjoy fellowship together. And, you know, it's so important to keep on doing that. It's so important. You know, Paul says, don't stop coming together. You know, I know the church has come up with some wonderful creative ways in order to stay together, you know, even through Zoom and everything, and that works for a little while, but you've got to eventually come together again. Sometimes we have to take risks, right? I always say to people, if you, want, if you don't want to take risks in your life, do not become a Christian, because if you want to serve Jesus, you're going to have to take some risks. Just read the scriptures what Jesus had to do, some risks that he took, and what the disciples did, and many of the people after that for generations, they took risks. And today, just the same, we have to take risks in order to follow Christ. And if you don't want to do that, you shouldn't become a Christian. right? So um, important that we realize who we are in Christ. We're a child of the Most High God. And God has got a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And it is not to be fearful, paralyzed of fear, and stay away from each other. We need to be there for one another, to build each other up, to encourage each other, to, to love one another. How many times has God said that? Jesus said that and the disciples. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. I think he understood, you know, how we are. We can be so hard-necked people, you know, set in our own way sometimes. You know, that, that uh, we, um, we get in the way in what God wants to do. It's so important that we s come together and that we worship together and be there for one another. We need a hug now and again from each other. We need a handshake. We need prayer. We need an arm on our shoulders. We need to have somebody there. You know, I've I just been in Belgium uh, recently, and there I found out there was an old couple there of 60 years married. 60 years married, and they both got COVID, and they both were, had, were put in this, this sort of a hospital there, and it, they were separated. This one, the husband was put in that room, and the wife was put in that room in isolation. They weren't allowed to be together. And the husband kept on saying, please, I want to be with my wife. You know, I've been married with her 60 years. I want to hold her hand. If she's going to die, I want to be there with her. And, and the family could see them outside, you know, and the father would get the, a, a note and write on it, please tell him I want to be with mum. 
please tell him I want to be with mum. And they wouldn't let her because of the rules that were there. The rules said they had to be isolated. They weren't allowed to be together. And yet they both had COVID. And then, of course, she dies. And he just grieved and grieved. It was so terrible for him. And I think he, he died a, a little while later. I think just of grief that he couldn't be with his wife and die with his wife or hold his wife's hand. What have we done? What have we done? You know, follow the rules because the rule says this. But where is humanity in this? Where is the love of Christ in this? How is it that we've, we've gone that far that we weren't even, couldn't even see that that was so necessary? I said to them, if that happened to me, if my, it was my mother, I would break the door down. I would want to be with my mum if she died. I would not want her to die on her own. I would hold her hand, even if I had to go to jail for the rest of my life. Because the rule says... What have we done to each other? How is the church... I mean, I'm not saying that you're like this. Praise God you're not like this. I've had churches in Holland there where I saw that there were two groups of people. One group was the vaccinated and the other group was the, the unvaccinated. And these people were not sitting with each other. But the atmosphere you could cut with a knife. So bad. And before I got up to preach and I said, Look guys, this... I don't know what's going on here, but I have a fair idea what it is. But this is not of God. This is not loving one another. This is hating each other. This is disliking each other. You've got a different opinion. Fine that you have a different opinion, but we still need to be there for each other. The enemy is the only one who is loving this. And he's just rejoicing now for himself because he knows that we're ineffective if we're like this. How sad. This is not of God. Absolutely not. And people say to me, yeah, brother, you don't understand, you know, this and that, and, you know, and the wars now are going on and all that. And I go, really? You're going to go that way? I said, really? Go and look in the, in, in the Revelation. It's going to get a lot worse instead of better. If you think it's going to get better, read Revelation again. If we can't get it together while, while this is happening, what are we going to be like later on? We've got to be there for each other people. You know, that's why it's so important. I get blessed by you guys being here. You, I hope you get blessed by what I have to share that God wants me to share to you. But I get equally blessed. I get blessed what I'm just hearing this beautiful sister here being healed. I, I will bring that back home and tell my kids. My kids are often praying for North, North, uh, North Island. Well, they've never been here, but they hear about that there are people here and a lot of people that need saving here as well. We're there for what we're the body of Christ serving the Lord together. Amen? Amen. Awesome. God is so good. I just want to pray before we open up the Word of God. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord God, for being here tonight. I want to thank you, Lord, that we are allowed to come here to honor you, to glorify you, to lift your name on high, Lord. What a wonderful moment, Lord God, that we are able to do this again, Lord. Absolutely fantastic, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you will have your way here tonight. Lord, um, turn us inside out, upside down. Do whatever you have to do, Holy Spirit, in order to get a hold of us, Lord God. Lord, you've got a message for us, and we pray that, you, that we are ready to receive that, that our hearts are open, Lord God. Our, our ears are open to receive what you have for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much, Father. May you be glorified in everything, in every aspect of this meeting. Lord, we give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. God is so good. You know, um, before I, I get into the Word of God, I just quickly share what, who we are and uh, what are we doing over there. How did we end up over there? And um, so um, I was born in, in Australia in a place called Wangaratta in Victoria, which is about uh, two and a half hours uh, northeast of uh, Melbourne. And there, mum and dad are Dutch. And they decided, when I was eight years old, they decided to go back to Holland. And uh, us kids, I'm the middle one of three boys, and uh, we didn't want to go to Holland, us boys, because we didn't want to live in one of those silly windmills they have over there and wear those strange shoes, those wooden shoes. We just thought that everybody lived in a windmill and everybody wore those things, you know. A bit like you people think that in Australia, you know, when we get out the front door, we have to, we have to shoo all these kangaroos out of the way uh, before we can get to the car. Of course, that's not true either. There's a lot of kangaroos, but not that many, right? So, um, so we ended up in Holland there, and uh, uh, I didn't like it at all. In Australia, we were free. We were, we were able to fish, climb a tree, do whatever. You know, one day you stopped us or whatever. We were always out in the countryside. I remember going to school there. My school was one classroom. It had 12 kids, the whole school. There was uh, two people in grade one, none in grade two, one in grade three, uh, two in grade four, and so on. 12 kids, one teacher. And uh, we were always outside. We were doing maths in the river and geography up the, up the tree, and uh, we made a cubby house and did then uh, uh, history and stuff like that. So we were always outside. And then I went, we went to Holland, and you weren't allowed to do anything. You know, you weren't allowed to dig a hole because you had to have a permit. You weren't allowed to fish. You had to have a permit. You, you weren't allowed to do anything. You weren't even allowed to pick your notes just about. You had to have, it was not, I didn't like it at all. And it was like a concrete jungle. And so I, I just did not like it. I wanted to go back as soon as possible. And, uh, but then uh, I, I realized my parents, I thought my parents went back to Holland to meet up with their, their family, their uh, parents before they would die. But actually the real reason was, I found out years later, my parents went back to Holland to save their marriage. And uh, unfortunately they didn't. When I was 12 years old, they decided to divorce. And that was a scandal. Man, that was a scandal in the family and a scandal in the whole neighborhood. Mum and dad were the first ones ever to divorce that we know about. Nobody divorced then. At least that's what we thought. And so uh, us kids copped it as well. We were those children from those people that were divorced. We were brought up as, as Catholics, and, but we never talked about God at home, never prayed at home, never. We just went to, went to church like everybody else that we knew went to church. That was the thing to do. And um, that was all. But when, I, when this happened in my family, I remember in church for the last time when I was 12 years old, I thought, well, God, where are you? If you are there, well, where are you? And why aren't you looking after my family? I don't think, you, I don't think you're there. I, th I, I don't believe in you anymore because if you were there, you wouldn't allow this to happen. And so I decided to leave God, leave the church, and I uh, become an atheist. And I became an atheist and I didn't want to believe in any, anybody anymore. I did not like life anymore. I did not like people anymore. People were just nothing but a pain in the neck. I discovered. And I thought, as soon as I get 18, I'm, go I'm the, my own boss then, I can decide myself, I'm going to go to a deserted island somewhere in this world and I'm going to live there forever by, by myself. No people, because they're just a pain in the neck. No people, just me. I reckon I would have lasted for two days. Because when I got saved, I realized that this God created me to have fellowship with Him. Right? He already knew me, but He wanted me to know Him. And so I understood that. But also what I learned was that God created us to have fellowship with Him, but also fellowship with one another. He wanted us to be there for each other. That's why I say we need one another, even though sometimes we think, you know, you don't need them. You do need them. We need them. I need them. 
Right? All my kids there, my, oh, absolutely, I get so blessed by all those kids that are there that God has given me. They're not, they're not my kids, but they're all my kids, if you know what I mean. They're all my kids. And so I just understood, I understood that then, but when I was uh, going through that uh, wild period, I didn't understand. So I became really rebellious. I didn't like school. I hated school. I did everything to get out of school. Oh my goodness, I did everything, all sorts of things. And then finally, when I was 16 years old, they kicked me out of school. Right? And then the director, I'll never forget, he said, I'm ringing every director here in this city to make sure that you're not going to get in any school. And so, because I was such a pain in the neck. I was such a rebellious somebody. I went to work, I uh, earned some money, and I, when I was 18 years old, I got a boat to Southampton and then a ship to go to Australia. I wanted to go back to the promised land because there we didn't have problems. I was a kid there and we never had problems. I was all in Holland. Well, did I learn something when I got to Australia? I found that people are the same everywhere. They're a pain in the neck there as well. Oh, my goodness. You know, and you know, and then I went through life thinking, why am I? This is so boring. Life, life is boring. I go to work, I earn my money, pay the bills, go to bed at night, and every day it's the same old boring thing. Didn't know God. I just life was like that, and I thought, who wants to live like this? And then I thought, why am I feeling this way? What is it? You know, there has to be more to life than this. And then I thought, it's probably because I'm not married yet, so I better get married. Right, as if that sort of just happens like that. And, but I knew, you know, when I was in grade four or five in Holland, and I must have been about 10 or 11, there was this girl who was madly in love with me. And one day she came up to me and she goes, Ronnie, do you want to go with me? I said, where to? <laughs> she said, no, you know, boyfriend-girlfriend thing. I said, oh, uh, well, I didn't know. She was far ahead than I was in that regard. But, so, but I married her. I married her. She already had a baby when she was 17, so she was rather rebellious as well at one stage. But I married her, so her daughter became my daughter, and still is my daughter today. And uh, so, so we had a lovely daughter, and then we, we had a lovely son as well, Paul. And we had it good there for a while. I had a huge debt to pay off, you know, when I married her, because she had a huge uh, debt. But okay, we were okay. But then after a while, again, this terrible feeling came back and I just didn't understand why I was feeling this way. Why am I not happy? Why? What am I missing in my life? And then I thought it's probably because I'm not, um, I don't have the money like my friends have. My friends have got plenty of money and they buy the latest of the latest, everything. And they look at their happy. It's just like on the ads on the television. You know, you have to have this. Because they're always smiling when they've got it, you know, and they, they wake up in the morning out of bed and they're just fresh and just happy. They've got a new washing machine and you've got to have this, you know, and we all, you know, we know that's not true. But when we look at it a hundred times, we start to think, oh, well, that might be true. Maybe that will give me happiness. And it does for uh, three days or four days, right, until we have to have our next fix. So actually, I started to get some more jobs. My wife was working with intellectually disabled kids. I was working in a factory, in a textile factory, and then I got another job as a waiter in a Chinese restaurant, and I also worked with intellectually disabled kids. So I worked 19 hours a day, slept three hours, and that was it. And I was able to buy, in my, in my days off, buy everything that I wanted, because we had four wages. Man, we were well off then. We had it all together. I was never home, though. Couldn't enjoy it. Couldn't see my family because I was always working. And then all of a sudden, it's like somebody hits you with a 4B2, like, hello, 
this is dumb. You can't enjoy anything together. And, so, and then again, this terrible empty feeling came back again. And then I thought, you know what? I, reckon, I bet you anything it's because I don't believe in anything. But who am I so supposed to believe in? Who is God? If I, I want to believe in God, but who is God? Is Muhammad God? Is Buddha God? Is Krishna God maybe? Or is Jesus God? Who is God? And so I pondered about this. But I remember at the Catholic school, there was a father Burns, his name was, and a sister Hannah. And they were always such happy people, joyful, and they're always talking about Jesus. Jesus here, Jesus there, Jesus everywhere. I didn't sort of appreciate it then that much, but I mean, I remember then all of a sudden, they seemed to be always happy. Maybe they knew God. And so I decided to give this Jesus a go first. So I waited until everybody was out of the house. And then I, um, I said to Jesus, okay, Lord, I, I haven't got a clue whether you, are, you can hear me or whether you're here or whether you're still nailed to the cross or where you are. Maybe you're on another planet. Maybe you're so busy you don't have time for me. Or maybe you just don't exist. I don't know, but I need to know. I want to know. If you are there, please let me know that you exist. I'll make a deal with you, God. I'll make a deal. I'll make a promise. I will buy a Bible and I'll read it from cover to cover. Even the boring bits I'll read. I promise, I said. But by the time I've read the last page, you have to have revealed yourself to me. I need to know that you exist. And if you haven't done that by the time I've read the last page, that's it. You've had your chance. I'll go somewhere else then. So that's the deal that I made with God. And I asked my friends, I said, where can I buy a Bible? Do you know where? And they said, I think at that Christian bookshop over there. So I walk in this shop and I said to the guy, I never forget his face when I said, excuse me, do you sell Bibles? And he goes, duh, the, the whole thing full of Bibles. And I was absolutely perplexed. It had big Bibles like this, little ones like this, thick ones like that, thin ones like this, expensive ones and really cheap ones. So he said, which Bible would you like to buy? I said, the cheapest one. I don't want to pay too much for a book. Anyway, so I got the Bible and I didn't have time to read because I was working 19 hours a day. But every time I had, I had coffee break, all the guys would go outside for a smoke and coffee and I would pick up my Bible and I would read it. And I tell you what, I promised that I would read it from cover to cover. So I started with Genesis and I read, read every bit of it. And all of a sudden these words started to jump out. And I couldn't, I, the 15 minutes were gone in no time. And then a half an hour uh, lunch break, gone in no time. I couldn't wait until it was coffee break again so that I could read a little bit more. And the more I read, the more the words jumped out at me. And all of a sudden, after a number of weeks doing this, I all of a sudden realized this book is a holy book written by a holy God. I'm not holy at all. I'm an unworthy person. I, you know, I shouldn't really be reading this. I'm the biggest sinner under the sun. But I couldn't put it down. I had to read this word. And the more I read, the more was jumping out and the more God was speaking to me. Until one day this guy came walking past and he looked at me as I'm sitting there reading the word of God. And uh, he stopped and I thought, oh, here comes a smart aleck, you know, he's going to have a comment here. And so he said, what are you reading? And I thought, hmm. So I stood up and I put my hands in my side like that. And I said, I am reading the Bible, all right? And I don't care what you think. He goes, no, praise the Lord. He said, I didn't know you were saved. When did you get saved? I said, saved from what? He said, no, when did you become a Christian? I said, I'm not. I'm just reading this Bible. Can I please? Thinking that he's still having a go at me. 
He said, you're not a Christian? You're reading the Bible at work? I've never seen that before. I said, well, there's always the first one. It just happens to be me now. I said, okay. And he goes, where do you go to church? I said, I don't go to church. And he, well, he said, maybe you'd like to come to a home group or something. I said, what is that? He said, well, we do a little bit of Bible study. Uh, we pray and then we have fellowship together. All right, we sing some songs. And I said, okay, well, I'll ask my wife if she would like to come with us, with me. And Wednesday came, and, uh, and I said, darling, do you want to come with us? And she goes, no. I said, well, come down. I don't want to go on the, my side. I don't know who these people are. So anyway, we left. We came together, and uh, we were a little bit late as we came in there because I couldn't find the place. And as I walked in, I thought, oh, my goodness, these people are all Fruit Loops because they were all glorifying God, just like we did this before, all glorifying God and clapping. And, and I thought, what is this? This was one of them cults, of course. You know, and, and I thought, oh, this is not, this, this, no way am I going to be part of this. But I, and and uh, I didn't want to look at my wife because I, I thought if I looked at my wife, I'd crack up laughing because I just thought it was the most funniest thing that I'd ever seen. And so we sat there and we just observed what we were seeing here. And then all of a sudden, to my amazement, they opened up the Word of God. Now, at work, if I didn't understand something, like I'd be reading and I'd go, God, hello, this... Uh, this, what does that mean? You know, I'm sure you didn't write it so that we can read it and then not understand it. I'm sure there is a meaning for this. So I don't know what this means, but I'm going to put a question mark next to it or I'll put a circle around it. Okay, God, thank you that one day you'll explain it to me. Here in this meeting, they were explaining, they were answering my questions. And I thought, hang on a minute, this is a setup, of course. The guy, the guy, of course, got a hold of my Bible when I was doing my machines and flicking through it quickly to see what I was stuck with, and maybe that's how they get their people in their little club over there. But I'm not that silly, I thought. And afterwards, I, I realized it was a setup, not by man, though, but by God. It was a setup by God, boy. You know, at the, and at the end of it, after prayer and that, at the end, they had fellowship with each other, Kappa couple together and they were and it seemed like these people had they loved one another they cared for each other and not just for each other but people in the street that weren't even christian and then they gathered money for missions whatever that was and all these sort of things and i thought why are they so happy are they swallowing a happy pill every morning or is it this jesus that they say they believe in well i was really puzzled and i left there me and my wife, and my wife said, I am never going back to those Fruit Loops, Ronnie. I go, yes, darling. But, you know, I couldn't wait until it was Wednesday again. I wanted to go back because those people had something, I reckon. I couldn't put my finger on I didn't really know. I didn't know whether they were genuine or not or whether they were just putting this on because we were there. But I wanted to find out more. And the second time I went back, I just loved what I saw. The third time I went back, and then the fourth time when I went back, and I said, I want to receive what you have. Whatever you have, and I believe it's this Jesus that you believe in, I want him as well. How, what do I do? How does this work? Get on your knees, brother, and, uh, and repeat the sinner's prayer after us. And so they put their hands on my shoulders and on my head, and they started to pray, as, um, and I'm repeating after the prayer. Well, I tell you what, God zapped me that night. He absolutely zapped me. When I got up, from the floor there, I tell you what, I just knew that I was a new creation, a new person. God had filled me with, with himself. 
He was living in me and I just sensed his presence so powerfully. And I just knew that I knew that this Jesus went to the cross for me and paid my, for my sins. I understood that. I read that already. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, that he went to, he went to the cross and, he, and it says he paid, he uh, bought us, he purchased us. So I knew that I didn't belong to myself anymore. I belong now to him because he bought me. So I'm not here anymore for my business and for my stuff. I'm here now for him. And I surrendered my life to him. And so we're here now. I'm here now for his business. God's business is people. People that are lost. People that are saved. All people. Mankind. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done. You know, everybody. Wow. I just absolutely... I. I, got, I was so radically changed, and I'm still so radically changed today when that first time God touched me that way. Still, still. And I went home, and my wife said, where have you been? I said, why? She goes, you're glowing. She said, you went to that club again. I said, no, darling, it's not a club. I received Jesus. I received, she goes, what? I said, I received Jesus, and he's there for you as well. You can receive him as well. Well, the more I tried to convince her that she needed Jesus, the more she just absolutely was horrified. Absolutely did not want nothing to do with this Jesus church and anything to do with God. And the more I tried to convince her, the more she got upset with me. And so she went that way in the world and I went that way with Jesus. And, our, you know, in our household, man, I remember our pastor said after a couple of times when I went to church, he says, come to Jesus and all your problems will fly out the window. I thought, that's not true. They all flew in the window when I, became, when I came to Jesus. I didn't have these sort of problems. And look at what I've got now. Right? I know what he meant, but I mean, in my case, man. You know, I, my wife was upset with me because I didn't go to the pub with her anymore and didn't get drunk with her anymore. She was upset because I wasn't the same Ronnie anymore. And so she went there and she used to come home drunk as a skunk as, as anything and then would vomit there sometimes and I'd have to clean it up and all that. And then she would um, uh, be stoned on marijuana and sometimes she wouldn't even come home at all. I didn't know whether she was having an affair or she was wrapped around a tree. And so if I, and when she came home in the morning and I asked, where have you been? And she goes, in the most colourful words, you know, mind your own business. Wow, World War Three was at our place, I tell you. And then all of a sudden, after year after year like this, we didn't have a life together anymore. We only had our kids in the same house. We didn't. We had separate places where we slept. You know, there was nothing in common we had anymore except for our children. And I'd be crying out to God, God, just touch your Lord. You said if we're faithful, you're faithful. Lord God, just help me now with my wife. Touch her, zap her, do whatever, Lord, just like you've done with me. Right? And the more I, I tried to convince her, the more she just absolutely hated everything. And so all of a sudden I started to dislike my wife. I did not love her anymore. I, nothing. I lost my joy. I became bitter. And I started to hate my wife. What a hypocrite. I go to church, glorify God, and go home and then hate my wife. And then all of a sudden I knew that this was not healthy. And I went to bed one day and I just cried and cried. I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I got, I, I, I'm hating my wife. I'm a hypocrite. This is not good. This, I cannot do this. So take my life instead of somebody else who's supposed to die, Lord. I, I just I can't do this anymore. And then all of a sudden, the Lord came into my bedroom. And uh, 
he picked me up and I, I honestly thought I was on my way to heaven because the sensation that I experienced then was just so incredible. It was, I can't describe it, it's a bit like somebody stuck a funnel in my mouth and just poured this liquid love in me. This incredible love that I experienced then and this fire that was within me, right? And I, I just thought I, w- I was on my way to heaven and then God said, spoke to me and he says, two things, Ronnie, I want you to do. I want you to, you to pray for your wife's salvation and I want you to love your wife. And I argued with God. I said, I can pray for her salvation, but I cannot love her. I've got nothing left, God. I hate her. I don't have the speck of love anymore for her. I said, so if you want me to love her, you're going to have to give that love for me for her because I ain't got it. And then all of a sudden I woke up and I felt fantastic again. Like when I was on fire for God again. The joy of the Lord was my strength again. Wow. And I went to, to the kitchen. I made breakfast and I went to my wife and I woke her up and said, darling, here's breakfast. And she woke up and she looked at me and her expression said it all. What has he put in my food now? <laughs> you know? nothing, nothing changed. In fact, it got worse. Did, nothing changed. You know? But it didn't affect me anymore. People already said to me, why don't you divorce her? You've got no life like this. Oh man, did I want to divorce? My flesh wanted to divorce her, but not my spirit. Because I knew, I said, no, I made, a, I made a promise one day. I said, I made a promise in good times and bad times. This is a bad time. I've got to stick it out. You know, you know and, and so it didn't affect me anymore whether she got home drunk or whether she didn't come home at all. I didn't question anything. I just, just said hello and, you know, what can I do for you and whatever. And I did the washing and the cleaning and whatever and whatever and all that stuff. You know, but every day I said to the Lord, thank you for the day that is coming that she's going to receive you, Jesus. Thank you for that day. I couldn't see it with my, my physical eyes. Man, wasn't experiencing that, but I could see it in the spirit that one day, as he asked me to pray for his salvation, one day, Lord, thank you, you know, for that day that is coming. I didn't beg God, please save her. No. Thank you for that day that is coming that she's going to give her life to the Lord. Four and a half years went again by. And at three o'clock in the morning then, she got on her knees and gave her life to Christ. Yeah. And what a day that was, I tell you. Everything changed in my family. I had my wife back. The family was back. We went to church together, to prayer groups together. Absolutely. My wife got visions from God. Unbelievable. Actually amazing visions from the Lord. Absolutely awesome. I started to go nursing because uh, Australia was uh, short of nurses and they wanted some mature age students. So I always wanted to be a nurse. And so I went nursing. And when I was doing my practical nursing, one day uh, I came home and there was a letter on the table from my brother who was boarding with us. And at four o'clock, and he said, uh, you, you better ring the hospital. And so I rang the hospital, and I, I said, yes. And I said, Mr. Habel, you need to come to the hospital. I said, why? Your wife is here. I said, what is she doing there? Well, come here, we'll explain. And I said, well, if my wife is there, where are my kids then? They're here as well. So please drive careful, and uh, come, and we'll see you here. And so I ran across the road to friends of ours from church, and I said, Jill Allen, pray for Bertie because something's happened. I, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't sound good. Anyway, I went to the hospital, and there I walked in, and this doctor came up to me, and he says, I'm so sorry, Mr. Habel, but your wife has already passed away in a car accident, and both your children are also badly injured, and they're not going to make it. So you need to go to the morgue now to go and say goodbye to your wife, to, to identify your wife, and then you need to go to the ICU to say goodbye to your children. 
Well, I'll tell you what, that day, everything stood still. I remember going to the morgue and seeing my smashed up wife there on the table and, and I'm thinking, God, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Eight and a half years, we had sheer hell in my house. Said, so, and now finally she's come to the Lord and now you take her home. Why? Why would you want to do something like that? You know, but I just knew that I knew that my father is my father and he would not allow anything to happen to me without his permission. So somehow he okayed this, something that I didn't know, perhaps it was time for her to go. And so I just realized I just had to accept that. And so I said to God, I'm not mad with you, God. I just don't understand. But Lord, I'm just so grateful that I had 18 months with her like this. No one will ever take that away from me. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that I know where she is. No one will ever take that away from me. So God, give me strength now to go to my kids. Lord, to say goodbye to them. So I went to the ICU after that, and uh, there I saw my kids on the table, completely smashed up, bleeding from their eyes, ears, nose, everywhere, mouth, everywhere. And uh, the neurologist said, uh, he said, I'm so sorry, he said, but they're not going to make it. He said, we've all uh, uh, checked this out, and he says that we don't believe that they'll uh, get through the night. He said, but if they do, they're going to be vegetables for life. He said, so, um, and, and they will be staying here for six months at least, so prepare for the worst. I said, okay. So I just cried and cried. Man, I cried. And, I, and you know, we had people come to, come to me and say, can we pray for your kids? So I let them in, and, and they put their hands on my kids, and they said, child of the Most High God, be healed in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, you know, after six weeks, not one but both my children were allowed to go home because they were completely healed. Yeah, that even the neurologist, neurologist come up to me goes and he said, Mr. Haber, I cannot explain this. He said, I've been a neurologist for many decades and I've seen things in my life that I can't explain. But this with your kids has topped a lot. He said, because I just want to tell you again, it is impossible for your children to be healed with such injuries. He said, we haven't done anything. He definitely had help from somewhere else. So I just, he knew that God had intervened. And I knew that if God can do this, God can do anything, Right. Now, why he didn't save my wife, and, but he did my kids, I don't know. You know. A lot of people ask me, well, why does God in, not intervene there? And why does God allow this? And why this? And why? And why? I said, I haven't got a clue. I'm not God. But later on, when I get to heaven, I'm going to make God a nice cup of coffee, and then I'm going to ask him lots of questions. Now, maybe I'll get an answer, maybe not. Then we had a very difficult year, of course. Everybody grieves in a different way, and I allowed my kids to grieve their way. But I said to my kids, eventually, I said, look, you know, we've got to take time to grieve, yes. Why this has happened, I have no idea. But I do know that God's got a life for us still. And it's not to sit here in the pit there and feel sorry for ourselves. We've got to get out of here. I said, my son was six, Paul was six, and my daughter, Tanya, was 13. And so, are you with me? Shall we go for it? We prayed together, we cried together, and then we just said, yes. We know that God's got more stuff for us to do. Then a bit more than a year after that, I married Kay, an Australian nurse. And uh, I had a new wife. And my kids had a new mum, right? And uh, we had it absolutely fantastic. God just blessed us so much, you know. And um, not that those things that what happened in the past that you forget them. You can't ever forget them, right? They're always going to be there. But God brings healing through other ways. And so we had a wonderful, wonderful time together. And we were well off. We had it all together. 
an insurance policy, the insurance company rang me up and said, this, this uh, insurance policy is uh, to be paid out. I said, we don't have an insurance policy with you guys. Yes, you do. I said, no, we don't. Yes, we do. And I said, well, you can give me the money, you know, and I'll spend it, but do not come to me after a couple of months and say you made a mistake because you're not getting it back then. No, no, no. Okay, well, I couldn't believe it, but I just saw it as a blessing from God, you know, and uh, we got all this money. We paid off our house. We bought new cars. We were able to do so much, still had money left over. We could go on a world tour every year. We had all the money in the world. Oh, my goodness. You know, God was so good. And so we had it all so wonderful. And then one day... One day, as we were having a good time, we were so involved in church there, God, as I'm potting around in my garden, I just found out that week that 43,000 children die every single day of starvation in this world. Every day. Today, I think, if you look at the mission organization, it's 22 to 23,000 per day. And I, I was absolutely baffled at that. How is this possible that there are so many people with everything Right, And then there are 43,000 children dying every day of starvation. That is a lot of kids. A lot of kids. You try and put them all together. That is a lot of kids. And then I thought, you know, I don't know any of those kids, obviously. They're somewhere else. Right? But does it make any difference, really, if I know them or not know them? It would definitely make a difference if I knew, I shared it with the school this morning, if there was one kid in between that 43,000 that were going to die today, that I would, uh, that I um, um, knew. I could, you know, I could have looked at these forty-three thousand and say, "My goodness, there's that kid. That's that's my neighbor's daughter, or that's my cousin, or my nephew, or my brother, or my sister, or whoever." If it was somebody that we knew, man, we would do anything to rescue that one. We'd even sell our shoes if that's all we had, right, to rescue that one because we know that one. Why does it make a difference whether we know them or not know them? God knows each one of them. He created each one. I always say God creates every child. Every child is, is created in the image of God and God has got a plan and a purpose for them and that is not for them to die like that. And I realized then, here I am moaning and groaning sometimes, you know, the weather, the food or whatever, right? And yet there, look at that. And then as I'm in my garden, God said, Ronnie, are you happy? I said, yes, God, I'm happy. Are you really happy? Yes, Lord, I'm really happy. But are you satisfied? No, I'm not satisfied, God. I am not satisfied. I'm satisfied how you're blessing me. Absolutely. But I'm not satisfied in the way what I'm doing for you. I know that I could be doing a lot more for you. He said, good. Pack up your bags, sell up everything, and follow me. And I go, what? And I ran inside and I said to my wife, darling, sit down, please. And she goes, what? I said, I believe God is saying, pack up, sell up, and follow him. And she goes, yes, yes, I'll ring up the real estate agents. She knew when she was 14 years old, there was a word of God over her life, that she was going to be a missionary one day. Don't hold on to all the things that you have, because one day you're going to have to let go of them. And so we rang the real estate agent, and we had our, sol our house sold in no time at all. We gave up our jobs. This is financial crisis in Australia. Everybody declared us for absolutely insane. You know, you don't do this. Not now. How are you going to look after yourself? I said, I have no idea. But he just told me to do this. So I'm listening to him. I've learned over the years, it is much better to listen to God, to obey him than not obey him. Much better. Because if you obey him, other people are going to benefit from it. If you disobey him, 
other people are going to miss out. Other people. One day we're all going to stand before the throne of God and God is going to say, why didn't you, I, I, I asked you to go. You didn't go. And because you didn't go, they're not here. I asked you, why didn't you obey? What are we going to say? Yeah, but, uh, there are so many excuses that we can give, right? The security. Oh, no, brother, you don't understand. Oh, what, how are we going to feed ourselves? I don't know. He knows. He said to go. And so we went to Bible college and prepared ourselves. And then when we were finished, you know, then I said, God, wherever you want us to go, China, Russia, Africa, as long as it's not Holland, because I never want to go there again. <laughs> well, he sends me to Holland the first year, didn't he? Now, and every year I go to Holland now for a month. I can handle that. I don't have to live there. But um, then he sends us to Borneo. Borneo, yeah, God gave us a love for the people there. The, the local people are called Dayaks. Borneo is the third largest island in the world. It's made up of three different countries. A quarter of the island is, um, uh, is East Malaysia, and in between the two states of that is uh, Brunei. And then the biggest slice is Kalimantan, which is, belongs to Indonesia. And the equator runs directly through the island, and we're just under the equator there. And so uh, we started to plant churches there. The people there are animists. They believe in the spirit and a tree, and a spirit and a river, and a spirit and a sun, and the spirit and everything. And they worship these spirits, and they are so fearful from morning till night. They're afraid because they think, you know, and, you know they're wondering whether the spirits are going to be upset with them, or, or, that they've appeased them enough with their offerings and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely crazy. And then every village of every tribe, there are 400 different tribes on the island, every village of every tribe have got their own witch doctor who lords it over them. And they are so demonic, absolutely demonic people who lord it over the people and get them to do crazy things. I've, had, I've got kids already in my place who've already killed other kids because the witch doctor says so. Or have already eaten other kids because the witch doctor says so. Not because they're cannibals, but they have this demonic ritual that if you kill your enemy and you eat some of their meat and drink some of their blood, that you become supernaturally more powerful than your enemy. Absolutely demonic. Some of our kids that come, we have to break a curse over their lives. Absolutely so incredible. And so um, as we were planting churches amongst the people there, then we saw all these kids that nobody wanted. And why didn't they want them? Because you know, they don't value life. They don't know who God is. God values life. God values every human being. But the people there don't value life. It's just like an animal. So who cares? You know, and they toss their kids in the jungle. And if you're strong as a kid, you'll make it. But if you're weak and, and, and sick, uh, often sick and you get sicker and then you just die in the jungle and so what? Who cares? No one cares. No one cares. But God cares. And then we saw these girls that, that were sold when they were 9, 10 or 11 years old and they got their first period. And then the witch doctor would sell your little girl. Just think about this. To an old guy who's already got three or four wives and wants another virgin. And your little girl is sold for a couple of pigs. You, as a parent, have no say in the matter. You get a couple of pigs in exchange for your little girl. And then your little girl falls pregnant straight away. And she's just a kid. And by the time she's 20, she looks like an old woman already worn out because she's only abused every day. And these girls, when you look at them, they just stare in space. There's no life in them, no joy, no nothing. And I used to go home and i just weep. And I, God, you know, I'm... 
I'm sharing the gospel. People are receiving Christ. But Lord, look at all these terrible things that are happening with the kids. And then God so clearly said to me, bring them in. I said, bring them in where? He said, bring them into your house. I said, God, I can barely make ends meet with my family. How am I going to afford that? You bring them in. I look after the rest. Okay. Well, we had seven girls first that we brought in. And they were just like my own kids then. You know, we loved them to bits. And uh, we clothed them, fed them, schooled them and everything. And, um, and then uh, at the end of the month, the bills had to be paid. And guess what? Enough extra money turned up in our account. I haven't got a clue where from either. But it was just enough, not too much, not too little, just enough to pay the bills. Absolutely awesome. So we said, God, this is wonderful. If you can do it with seven, surely you can do it with 30 girls. And so we had 30 girls in the house. That was the maximum we could have. Our house was just too small for more. 30 girls. I do not recommend you having 30 girls in the house, though. I really don't. We only had one bathroom there, one toilet, and the, the girls always occupied the bathroom. And so us boys always had to go outside. And, so, uh, and the other thing was that I learned with 30 girls in the house, they just never shut up. It's just like a chicken wren. Just day and night. Oh, my goodness. That was a challenge and a half, but guess what happened at the end of the month? Just enough money turned up. Not too much, not too little, just enough to pay all the bills again. And we said, God, this is wonderful. If you can do it with 30, surely you can do it with 70, but we've got to bring boys in as well. Yeah, and the house is full. We've got to buy some land or something and build from that. Anyway, to cut a long story short, then God challenged us to prepare a place for a thousand neglected kids and build schools for 2,000. Now, we didn't have a cent, but I already learned that wasn't important. If God says do that, then you just do it and then watch God do the rest. And right, so we started to look for land all over the place. And now we've got uh, already 800 acres of property in the middle of nowhere there and already a place uh, with our own schools, our preschool, primary school, secondary school, high school and, and uh, uh, Bible college and, and uh, all these other houses. You know, getting kids that have been with us already for 20 years. They're falling in love with one another and they're getting married. And uh, my wedding gift for them is 12 children, 10 or 12 kids. There you go. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, fair enough. Fair, fair, right? I mean, I have to share the workload with everybody. Praise the Lord. Fantastic. And, but they are so good because they, they, they know where these kids come from. They were one of them first. Right? And now they're, now they're teachers and they're accountants and they're doctors and nurses and all that. And then when they go home from their work, they've got a whole stack of kids to look after as well. So I take my hat off for them. They're absolutely fantastic. But they're so full of the Lord. You know, so many go to Bible college now. And they come back and they're our church planters and our pastors and church leaders now. You know, as young as they are, they go out into the, uh, into the jungle there and they live there amongst the people. We found out it doesn't work if you only go two or three days and share the love of Christ to the people there and, and, and share about Jesus and they receive the Lord and then you go again for two or three weeks and come back uh, after two or three weeks again. Because, you know, they get, they get um, uh, challenged every day with issues. The witch doctor still lords it over them in many ways, pressures them to come to him instead of to, to, to this Jesus Right, And so that's why we learned that it's much better to live there. So our guys live there. So we often send two girls, two ladies, two guys, or a family, and they live there amongst the people there. And it's really difficult. There's no electricity. There's no um, phone sing signal, no medic medical facilities there. So it's hard going there. But they want to be there because they have such a passion for God as well and such a passion for people. Fantastic to see that, you know. 
I remember uh, uh, just uh, last year there was a kid that uh, was dumped at our place. His name is Julian, and he's uh, eight years old. And uh, Julian was, um, when he came, uh, he, he came from, he's got a mum and a dad, but they divorced. And his mum and dad divorced, and there, if you divorce, then the new husband or the new wife don't, don't want the children from the former marriage. And so they usually dump them in the, in the jungle, and they can just fend for themselves. I've got kids that have already been in the jungle for a couple of years, and they're the most obnoxious kid when they come to us, because they don't know any social skills at all. They just, have a, they just live in survival mode. Right? So he didn't get dumped in the, in the jungle, but he got dumped at an uncle. Now, an uncle there is, it could be anybody, because everybody's an uncle in their culture, right? It's not a biological uncle, but it's everybody's an uncle. And so the uncle didn't want him either, and so he tried to find a way to how to get rid of this kid. And so he, d he decided to dump him at a gold mine. There you go, you work for your keep, you know, they'll have you. And so he left him there. Now, a gold mine there is nothing like gold mines here or in the West where you have these massive machineries and, uh, you know, safety equipment and all that sort of stuff. You know, I remember a couple of years ago when we went from one village to another, right, with our Bibles and our medicine box, and uh, we're slashing our way through the jungle there, and all of a sudden we come across 20 or 30 motorbikes that were parked in the jungle with all this green stuff already growing over there, so they've been there for a long time. And I said, what are these bikes doing here? I said, have they been stolen or something? And my guy said, no, Dad, they're, they're, there's a gold mine here somewhere. I said, a gold mine? He said, yeah. He said, they dig huge hole in the ground, and then on the bottom there they go tunneling everywhere. And sometimes these tunnels, they collapse, and then all the people that are in the tunnel are buried alive. And so these people, they're all buried alive because their motorbikes have been here, sitting here for quite some time. So they're just ready for the picking. You can just take whatever you want because they're not coming out of there. They're all dead there. And Julian was working in one of those mines. Eight years old. His wages was one plate of food a day. And of course, he becomes sick and malnourished. And uh, then an old guy came to work there as well and he saw that this sick kid was working there and he thought, this is no place for him. I know a place for him. And uh, that was our place, and he dumped them at, the, at our gate there. And when he came in, man, he just looked like a little scared, uh, dirty-looking, um, uh, malnourished kid. And I walked up to him, and I just gave him a big cuddle, and I said, Welcome home, mate. He looked so frightened. I think it was the first time he saw a white man in his life, especially with a long nose like mine. Well, he just was... Um, you know, but it took two days, and then he, he got a smile from ear to ear, I tell you what. And now you can't shut him up. He just talks a mile a minute. He goes to, to school, and he comes home every day, and he goes, Dad, did you know? He said, in, South Korea, in North Korea, the brothers and sisters there, they can't worship like we do. And I, he said, did you know? I said, yes, I knew. He said, wow. And he just loves to learn, learn, learn. Now, at our place, I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to pray. 5 o'clock, I wake everybody else up. 5.30, all of us have prayer meeting. Even the little ones, big ones. The little ones go in the small hall. The big ones go in the big hall. And there, they, we pray together. We read a chapter, and then we ask God, what does this mean for us today? And then we pray for all sorts of issues in the world before we start the day. And so, Julian quickly got to know who this God was as we were going through the Bible. And he just wanted to know this Jesus. And he, he received the Lord in his life. And uh, he is such a prayer warrior, I tell you. He prays, my goodness. Right? I've I, I got to tell him sometimes, okay, Julian, that's enough now. You've got to go to bed now, you know, because he just prays and prays and prays and prays. 
right? And uh, one day, uh, a while ago, he goes, comes to me and says, Dad, you know, tomorrow I can lead in prayer. I'm allowed to lead in prayer. Every day we get a new kid who leads in prayer, a new young people, person who leads in prayer in that, in that group. And so he said, oh, I'm going to lead in prayer. Um, which verse shall I use? I said, well, you ask the Holy Spirit. The Lord is asking you to lead in prayer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he goes back a couple of hours later. He comes back and he goes, I think God wants me to share this one. I said, good, go for it. You know, and the next day, you know, he, he's in small hall there. And if, as you saw him, he says, okay, everybody, all the little kids, yeah, all, everybody up on your, on your feet. We're going to pray now. Now, use your voices, loud voices, he said. Now we're going to pray for North Korea, for the people there in North Korea, for our brothers and sisters, you know. And he says, okay, raise your voices, everybody. He's eight years old. Raise your voices. Oh, God, just come, Lord, and sweep over North Korea. Touch the people there, Lord God, and help them to worship you as we can worship you. And touch the people there who don't have an opportunity to get to know you. Oh, God. And then he goes, and now we're going to pray for Israel. And then we're going to pray for America or whatever. And I'm thinking, as I'm looking at this, and I've got goosebumps all over, and I'm thinking, God, this kid just a little while ago was in the gold mine. No one cared for him. Well, you did, and you brought them here. God, I am so grateful that you, you've got a place in the middle of the jungle here where the kids can come here and be loved and cared for, but also to be introduced to you so that they can also receive you in their lives and become godly young people serving you on fire for you, Lord God. Oh. You know, I often say I cry a lot because of all the injustices that I see and the kids that are abused there. I weep for the, for the kids. But I also cry a lot of joy because of what God does in every person that comes through those gates. So awesome. I, I, I found a kid there one day after being in the, in the river there, washing myself, and this little kid bloated belly like this, skinny as a rake, just skin over bone, and he had riddled with scabies. And uh, he just stared in space as well. And I, I grabbed him by the hand, and I took him to the tribal chief and said, who does he belong to? He said, nobody. His mum and dad died last year. So he lives in that chicken coop there, and that's uh, where he can stay. And I said, well, who's looking after him, though? Who's feeding him? Nobody. He's got to look after himself. He's got to find his own food. We're all hungry here. And I said, well, he's sick. He can't do that. He's just about to drop here. That's how sick he is. He said, so? I said, so, so I'll take him home. All right? If, but if I take him home, I'm not going to patch him back to health and then bring him back here so he can look after himself again. I take him home. I take him home for good. Is that okay? He goes, take him. We don't want him. So I took him home. And there we had one girl... Uh, from his tribe, the Mate tribe, and uh, she was able to communicate with him. And the next day I took him to the doctor for a checkup, and the doctor, after the checkup, he said, Mister, if you had left him there another week, he wouldn't have made it. This kid is so sick. He's got far advanced tuberculosis, and uh, he's so dangerously malnourished. You watch out. Do not give him too much food in one hit because you'll kill him. So give him lots of food throughout the day, different varieties of food, so his body can start to get used to it. He was riddled with worms. Oh, my goodness. And every night he had a nightmare. Nightmare. My wife and I had to take turns in being with him. We, and we uh, um, said to him, you know, this is your home. We're your mum and dad now. And these are all your brothers and sisters. You know, you can stay here forever. Right? Just reassuring him that this is his home now. Now he's already finished high school. And he's now, he's now used by the Lord. He's now in ministry. And he brings in all the, and all the new kids, the boys that come in. He shares with them what God has done for him. And he, he helps them to adjust now well to the culture in the village and everything. Absolutely awesome what God does. 
And I can share with you so many of these incredible miracles of children who had cancer that have been healed by the Lord miraculously. Kids with, with uh, um, kidneys that were completely shot to pieces that God gave them new kidneys. That even the specialist said, look, if I hadn't checked this myself and done a biopsy myself, he said, I wouldn't believe it. But this is the same boy, but the kidneys are different. God has done, given them new kidneys, right? And, and he said he's a walking miracle. Yeah, praise the Lord. God is a walking, he's a walking miracle. He's, he's done such a wonderful thing in his life. You know, uh, we put a big plaque on our property, and you'll see it in a minute on that tr three-minute video there. You know, you, be aware you are entering a miracle zone. Proceed at own risk. We put that up there for all the people in the area, Muslims, Buddhists, whoever. You know, and they, they are telling each other now, you know, don't mess with those people on that property because their God is with them. I remember one day when we were, um, we were um, um, concreting our training center, the slab 700 square meters, and uh, I, was doing, I went to Kuching, at, uh, it was a 12 to 15 hour drive, to pick up uh, building materials. And uh, while I was there, and of course that takes me two or three, four days to do that, and, uh, uh, and my guys were concreting this huge slab. And then all of a sudden, from one direction, this is massive storm approaching. Now, when it rains at our place, it rains, it buckets down. Now, rain and concreting do not go together. So whatever you concrete it, it'll just be all wiped out. And so we had a missionary there with all our guys that were concreting there, and this storm was approaching. And uh, Warren, he goes, oh my goodness. And he goes, okay, and he lifted up his hands and he said, in the mighty name of Jesus, storm, bypass this property. And when I got back and they shared with me, Ronnie, you should have been here and you should have seen this. The storm came towards us and it all of a sudden it jolted to the left and it just poured that way and we all stayed dry. He said, and the, uh, we had an excavator driver and a bulldozer driver from another faith and they just stared with their jaw dropped like this. Like, you know, how is this possible? Anyway, so I got to hear all this. Two weeks later, we were about to concrete the water tank of the training center. Huge slab as well and the, and the water tank underground water tank. And I went back to Kuching two weeks later to do more building materials, uh, buy some more and, and food supplies. And so as uh, uh, I'm there, again, they were concrete. And again, from the same direction, this massive storm, as black as black can be, came like a locomotive just over the trees. And Warren wasn't there this time. But all our other guys were. And, and so they, they said to one another, Warren, Pa Warren, he, he, he uh, lifted up his hands and he said, in Jesus' name, bypass his property to the storm. Well, if he can do it in Jesus' name, so can we. So they all put up their hands, all of them. And they said, in Jesus' name, storm, bypass this property. And my guy said, Dad, when I came back and I said, Dad, you should have been here. Oh, my goodness. And I said, as the storm came and the, we were all going, oh, you know, uh, why isn't it doing anything? Why isn't it doing anything? You know, and they're still going, God, Jesus, the storm in Jesus' name. And, then, and, and they said, and all of a sudden it hit the borderline of our property and then it split in half. And half of the rain went to the left and half of the rain went to the right. And there was this eye of nothing. And it was exactly where they were concreting. And the bulldozer driver and the excavator driver fell on their knees. And they said, this God of yours, he listens to your prayers. We want to serve a God like that too. What do we do? Well, they went through the sinner's prayer there. On that particular moment there, in the, in the dry there, as everything was raining there and raining there. 
And then when I got back, they said they wanted to be water baptized. So we took them to a water hole there and baptized them there in the water hole. Word got around, didn't it? My goodness, word got around. Especially when we had the grasshopper plague that ate up everything in the whole neighborhood. Everywhere. All the rice paddies, the vegetable gardens, everything was eaten up. Everything. But if you flew over the, over the whole region, you'd see this green patch in the middle of all that. And that was our 800 acres. Our vegetable gardens, our fruit trees never got affected by this grasshoppers. That the local people just scratched their heads and couldn't understand. Right? That's why they warned each other, don't mess with those people. And when I heard that the first time, I said, good on them. Share it around a little bit more. Don't mess with, you want to mess with us? You'll be messing with our God. You do not want to be messing with our God, I can tell you. Wow, so amazing. You know, it says, in, and I, I just forgot to share this, in Romans chapter 1, right, it says this, and this is why I went to Borneo. In Romans chapter 1, and Paul says this, For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. Now, in some uh, translations, in my first translation, it said this, I, I owe a debt to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world. I'm a debtor. What, Paul says he's a debtor? He, he, uh, he borrowed money from somebody or something? And he owes that now to everybody? Of course not. He didn't mean money. But there are two ways that we can incur a debt. If I give my brother here, a I lend him a thousand pounds, my brother Tim, then he's indebted to me until he pays me back, right? That's one way we can incur a debt. The other way is, and this is what Paul means, if I give my brother here a thousand pounds, he hasn't, doesn't have to give it back to me, but he's got to pass it on to my brother over there. So he's no longer indebted to me, but he's indebted to him until he pays him. And this is what Paul is sharing about. Not money. Remember who Paul is? His name was Saul first, and he was a fanatic Pharisee, and uh, he uh, hated the Christians and the church, and he just wanted to get rid of all these Christians, and he got letters from the Pharisees there in Jerusalem, and he was on his way to Damascus to go and get all these Christians and bring them back to be slaughtered. And then what happened just before Damascus? Jesus knocks him off his horse. Bang! And he meets with Christ. He meets with him. I always say to all my kids, it's not enough to just say that you believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus too. That doesn't make him a Christian. You've got to meet with Christ. If you meet with Christ, you can never, ever, ever be the same again. Never. And, and so then when, when you meet with Christ, all that you have, you know, is not yours. It's all his. Everything, your, your, your body, your, your life, your family, your possessions, it's all his. Everything. And so, and, and then he, he, he lives in us. And so with Paul, he understood when he met with Christ, he didn't, he didn't no more convincing who Jesus was. He understood that. And Jesus forgave him all his sins. Even he torturing the people, he forgave. Oh my goodness. So he understood what the unconditional love was. That he was forgiven all that. He could start afresh. Wow. And so this is what he meant. That unconditional love of Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, the love of Christ compels me never to give up, to keep on going. The love of Christ compels me. 
I'm asking you, does the love of Christ compel you never to give up, to go for it, to surrender to God? The love of Christ, the unconditional love of Christ, it tells me that I'm a debtor now as well. It tells me that every Christian that has received Christ in their lives is also a debtor to this world and must share the love of God with people around us. That's why we need to be lit up, shine for Jesus, people. We've got to shine for the Lord Jesus. I'm not saying fake it. If you're grieving, you might be grieving because of people who you just lost in COVID. Of course, I know what grieving is. I lost my wife as well, so I know what grieving is. But there comes a time when you've got to snap out of the grieving because God has work for you to do. And he wants you to shine. He wants us to shine in this world that desperately needs Jesus. And you can't shine by moping and groaning and being upset and angry and all that sort of stuff. Complaining all the time. Oh, I meet so many Christians like that. Bad income. Really crazy. Yes. You know, we have a fruit over there. It's called Bua Belanda. Bua means fruit. Belanda means Dutch. We, we turn everything around. Eh? So um, Dutch fruit. Dutch fruit? I said to my guys, why do they call this Dutch fruit? I've lived in Holland for 10 years. I've never seen this fruit over there. You know, the fruit is a, is, is a fruit like this, and it's got prickles on the outside. And then the inside, it's got one big pit in it there and white meat around this pit. And when you eat it, ooh, it is so delicious, but so sour. Your whole face screws up when you eat it. Oh, that is sour. Delicious, though, but oh, it is sour. So I said to my guys, why did they call it Dutch fruit? He said, Dad, way before when the Dutch used to rule here in Indonesia, you know, they were Christian, but they always looked so horribly sour that we named the fruit after them. <laughs> when I share that in Holland, they all go... That is terrible, isn't it? Don't you think that's terrible? That's not where God wants us to be. God wants us to shine for you. You cannot, you cannot look sour and say, come to church. Why don't you come to church? Oh, you need to have God in your life. Well, yeah, right. And you've got God in your life? We have to shine for the Lord. So people can see that the Lord is in you by what you do, what you say, how you react. A lot of people say with their mouth they're a Christian. That's not good enough. A lot of people sing Christian songs. They read the Bible. Yes, the Word of God. But they don't do it what it says. God wants us to be doers of His Word. I mean, He shares with us what His character is like. Now He wants us to get out there and do it as well. To share this love of God with people. You know, and we keep on doing that over there. I'm just so blessed to see our kids grow that way and so passionate uh, for the Lord. And we ain't finished yet. There's so much work to be done. But we know that Jesus is coming back soon. Well, there's still a lot of work to be done first, right? Because he says he's not coming back until all tribes have had the opportunity to hear that there is a God who loves them. Whether they become a Christian or not, that's up to them. That's not our task. Our task is to bring it to them. Once they receive Christ, then we disciple them, right? You know, I used to say, when I was in Australia, I used to be so wealthy money-wise, but really poor in spirit. Now, i got nothing money-wise, but I'm so rich. You know, i got 825 kids that love me to bits, right? Every time I go home, it takes me two hours to cuddle everybody. 
We have witch doctors now that have come to the Lord just by through a power encounter, praying in front of them and then seeing the power of God just heal their little girl in Jesus' name. Wow. And they are now ambassadors for Jesus, planting churches with us now, sharing with all the witch doctors, you know, you can, you can put all the witch doctors together and all your power is nothing compared to this Jesus. And, you know, you can't buy that with any money in the world. I would never want to swap with what I used to have. And I still eat every day and I still have a roof over my head. That's God. So I'm, not, I'm so glad I'm not running after all that stuff anymore. What the television tells you, you've got to have, otherwise you can't be happy. It's so important that we keep focused on Jesus. You know, this world is going to get crazier and crazier. As you can see there in Russia and the Ukraine now, how terrible is that? And they're threatening with atomic bombs and all that sort of stuff. And so many people are freaking out, even Christians. Well, let me tell you, it is important that we stay focused on the Lord and just keep on serving Him wherever God places us. You know, I've noticed that here in North Island, Northern Ireland, many people need Christ Jesus as well. Your mission field is right here with you as well. Also to the ends of the earth, but here as well. Don't you forget that. Right? There are so many people that are desperately needing Jesus. People, I could share with you so many things about the wonders of God. I can share with you so many funny stories like I did this morning. Right? But, you know, time's run out. Right. One day I'll come back and I'll share with those things if you let me. If you don't let me, I get it. I understand. <laughs> Let's pray, shall we? Father, you're so good. Thank you so much, Lord, for being here with us and stirring our hearts, Lord. You know each one of us through and through. You know our thoughts, you know our feelings, you know our past, our present, our future. You know everything about us, Lord God. Lord, we can't hide anything from you. We cannot have any secrets from you. You know everything. You know where we're at with you, each one of us. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'll continue to touch our lives in such a way that it will stir our hearts, Lord, and that we will understand that we are also, just like Paul, that we are debtors, Lord, that we've been entrusted with this wonderful, wonderful, unconditional love for ourselves, but also we have to pass it on to others so that they will know that there is a God who loves them as well. Lord, may we never look at people and say, un unsavable. May we always look at people and, and pray for them and surrender them to you, Lord God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to take risks for you. Help us, Lord God, not to uh, sway to the left or the right, Lord God, and what people might say about us. They might not like us anymore when we start to talk about you, Lord God. But I pray, Father, that you'll help us, Lord Jesus, to know who we are in you, a child of the Most High God, being entrusted with the power and the authority over the enemy. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you. Equip us all, Lord God, with everything that we need in order to get the task done. Thank you for entrusting us with that task. Thank you for entrusting us with your word that is alive and it's a truth. Hallelujah. Thank you, my Father. I pray for this church here, Lord God. Lord, that you will let it shine as bright as anything in this dark world that so desperately needs you. Lord, you're so good, so marvelous, so amazing. And we give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen.